You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Some serious allegations tonight involving an elite hockey school on the Lower Mainland. A coach quitting in protest over the North Shore Winter Club's handling of alleged incidents of assault and bullying involving players. The North Shore Winter Club is down a coach after Brad Rihella resigned following allegations a player was bullied by two other team members after a practice on December 10th. There were some decisions that were made in regards to discipline that that didn't line up with my values and, and I ultimately made the decision to, to step away. Rihella, who now coaches in Chilliwack, isn't going into detail about what allegedly happened, but the player's family has hired a lawyer. And we hope that our client and his family can move on from this. And in particular, our client can continue to play hockey, which is something that he absolutely adores. The North Shore Winter Club says after learning of this, it acted decisively. The coach suspended two players, and when the club was notified of the allegations, the NSWC immediately formed a disciplinary committee and upheld the suspensions. No one from the North Shore Winter Club would go on camera, but through an emailed statement confirmed after a thorough investigation, the discipline committee found two incidents of bullying. Those involved were removed from team play for a period of time. They were told to write apology letters. They also had to undergo a professional anti-bullying session. Even outside of hockey, it's the way we're raising our kids. We need to teach them respect and accountability, and, and ultimately we need to teach them that there's there has to be zero tolerance, no, no bullying, no abuse, nothing along those lines. Are we in 2019 or are we in the 1960s and 1970s? Do you want your children treated that way? The incidents involving 13 and 14-year-olds allegedly took place in a dressing room and a gym. All of those involved are now back playing hockey. North Vancouver RCMP confirmed they are investigating the alleged assault. Jill Bennett, Global News. A lot more fuel has just been added to ICBC's dumpster fire. The corporation now projecting its losses will be much greater than first thought. Richard Zussman is live in Victoria with the latest on this. And Richard, we're talking about $300 million more. How did it happen? Yeah, Chris, we are. The hemorrhaging of money is staggering. Third quarter financial numbers out today and the projected loss at ICBC for this year, nearly $1.2 billion. And everyone who drives on the road is ultimately going to have to pay for this. And how we got here, ICBC and the provincial government says, is because claim costs are way higher than they were a year ago. $600 million more in claims this year than last year at this time. And a big Big part of that are lawyer fees as well as special reports lawyers are doing. The lawyers themselves say they aren't to blame, it's an old system, and the provincial government is vowing to fix it. Those two together, it's resulted in an increased uh, projection of loss for ICBC uh, because if it takes longer to settle a claim, for example, that uh, tends to be associated with an increase in costs. And if they're paying for more expert re reports, for example, that's just a straight up additional cost for ICBC. So what British Columbians are doing is saying, OK, fine, ICBC, if you're not going to treat me fairly, I'll go to court and I'll let a judge or a jury of my peers from the community tell me what's fair. That's what's happening here. 
Major changes are coming to ICBC. They come into effect on April 1st. There will be a cap on soft tissue injury claims as well as a cap on how much lawyers can charge. The province is also promising that over the next few days they will announce changes to how many reports lawyers can put forward. All of this is a way for them to try to overhaul the public insurer, Chris, but it's unclear how fast that can actually happen. And whether it'll work. Thanks very much, Richard. <laughs> An investigation into money laundering labeled BC casinos as unwitting participants in the cleaning of criminal cash. Now, two whistleblowers are coming forward to call that description into question and demand a public inquiry. John Watt reports. As a steady stream of dirty money flowed through BC casinos, loan sharks allegedly operated in plain sight. It was one shark that's sitting in the casino there. That's their office. Proka Avramovich, who asked we hide his appearance and alter his voice, is a whistleblower who once worked as a security manager for Great Canadian Gaming in the early 2000s. They're under the table, there's a coffee shop, they're, you know, moving around, but, but so... They're seat, sitting there for eight, ten hours. But Avramovich alleges security staff were told to only go after the small fish when it came to suspicious lenders. We were reading out the small competition and uh, for some reason those uh, um, bigger long sharks were left alone. Great Canadian Rights It operates in strict compliance with all laws and regulations that apply to our industry and comprehensively follows all policies and procedures that are required of us by BCLC and our regulators. Adding the allegation by its former employee is not factual, but based on hearsay, conjecture or hyperbole. I got absolutely nothing to gain except I wanted people to know what exactly happened. Another whistleblower who used to work for the casino regulator, the Gaming Policy and Enforcement Branch, or GPEB, says there's only one way to get the truth. I believe an inquiry would certainly um, pinpoint how this was allowed to happen and by who. Schalk says he was dismissed for sounding the alarm about money laundering. And if he was subpoenaed, he'd happily offer more evidence. The use of the word unwitting, in my, my opinion, was unfortunate um, and uh, was incorrect. Both whistleblowers say a public inquiry is the only way. Those responsible for the money laundering mess will actually be held accountable. John Hua, Global News. Global Sam Cooper joins us now with more on this. Uh, Sam, you have spearheaded the reporting on this issue. The whistleblowers claim there was willful blindness on the part of officials at the BC Lottery Corporation. How much further up could this go? That's right. And the documents say that senior police in B.C. believed that there could be willful blindness with the Lottery Corporation. And the sources say this was deliberate. But another thing the sources say is that the RCMP knew for a long time about money laundering in B.C. casinos and they did nothing to enforce. So why was that? And also, the sources point to uh, the gaming regulator and BCLC were serving under the same minister for years in BC. That's still the case. So how could it be that the money-making arm and the enforcement arm are serving the same master? So we ask, if we ask that question, we, we need to look up into the upper levels of BC's government over the past 10, 15 years.
So many layers to this story, Sam. Now, BC's attorney general, as we know, is under intense pressure for a public inquiry on this. What is the federal government's position? Today, we asked Prime Minister Justin Trudeau about a reaction to our story. These are serious allegations that uh, some whistleblowers believe corruption occurred. We asked him, do you support a public inquiry? He said the federal government is interested in finding answers. They continue to work with B.C.'s government, but he did not commit to a public inquiry in B.C. All right. Thanks for that. Sam Cooper joining us from Ottawa. And a new poll indicates the support for a public inquiry is overwhelming. More than three in four British Columbians, 77%, think an inquiry should be held, while just 14% say it's not needed. As for who is at fault, 51% of respondents blame the B.C. Lottery Corporation. 43% say the previous Liberal government is to blame. 24% say the problem is the fault of the current government or the RCMP, while 18% blame Ottawa. Some breaking news now involving the scandal at the B.C. legislature that includes the suspension of B.C. Sergeant-at-Arms Gary Lenz and Clerk of the Legislative Assembly Craig James. Just a short time ago, the pair submitted their response to the Plekis report and then released statements. Keith Baldry joins us live from Victoria with more of the details. Keith. Yeah, Chris, uh, fairly short statements from both Gary Lenz and uh, uh, Mr. James. Uh, Mr. Lenz, a little more personal, he talks about the impact it's had, the scandal's had on himself and his family, uh, both maintaining their incidents at the, as they did at that news conference a number of weeks ago. Uh, and they've also publicly said they hope that the report, the response that they sent to the Legislative Management uh, Assembly uh, Committee uh, will be made uh, public. Uh, so that I can tell you, though, I just talked to both House leaders, the, uh, both Mary Polak and Mike Farnworth from both sides, they they say basically this is now going to be sent to the lawyers. So it's in the hands of the lawyers. It's now an employment process situation rather than anything else. So maybe sometime before we get access to that information. Meantime, late today, Speaker Daryl Pleck has further added fuel to the fire by publicly accusing MLAs of criminal behavior. He won't name any MLAs as of yet, but he's effectively just put the entire legislature under a very, very dark cloud. This story just keeps going. Amazing. Okay, thanks, Keith. Okay. Look forward to more details as that unfolds. A judge has cleared the MV Maritassa of all charges related to that oil spill in English Bay. 2,700 liters of bunker fuel leaked into the ocean back in April of 2015. Today, a judge ruled while the ship discharged the pollutant, it was caused by two defects on the brand new vessel, and those defects could not have been foreseeable. The judge also found the ship regularly performed training drills aimed at safety and pollution prevention proving its defense of due diligence. A special weather statement is in effect for parts of the lower mainland. Light snow may be seen over the south coast tonight, and bitterly cold winds are on the way. Nadia Stewart is live in Vancouver with more on how that city is preparing for the winter weather. Nadia. Yeah, Sophie, the city will be rolling out its beefed-up winter arsenal. They've got the trucks, they've got the salt, but they're also encouraging residents to be prepared. For homeowners, the message is to clear the sidewalk outside of your home by 10 o'clock the morning after the snowfall. Now, for drivers, you're going to want to make sure you have those winter tires and that your car is prepared with the warm-weather gear that you need. The city is gearing up, but encouraging drivers to be ready for that morning commute. Well, we have been treating our priority routes um, all throughout the last week. Our priority routes are our city's arterials, 
Um, that also includes our corner ramps and our bus stops of arterials, our priority hills. Uh, we have a few priority bike routes identified as well, and as well, of course, our emergency routes. Now, for any seniors who might need help clearing the snow outside of your home, give 311 a call tomorrow. And if you are, if in your neighborhood there are seniors who might need help and you want to sign up to volunteer, we've got a website that should be on your screen there right now, vancouver.ca forward slash snow angels. You can give your neighbors a helping hand. Back to you. All right. Thanks for that, Nadia. All right. For the latest on the chance of snow and when it could arrive, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon now with the latest. Christy. Thanks, Chris. So it will develop overnight all across the south coast. Tomorrow morning, blanketing the region, but it won't be widespread. It will be in pockets, so certainly affecting some areas and not other areas. Uh, you can see some pockets across the lower mainland there. In the afternoon, conditions for the lower mainland ease off as we start to see strong outflow winds. It clears the skies and forces all of that snowfall across Vancouver Island. So in the afternoon, the concern for the lower mainland will be more so blowing winds, maybe reduced visibility, and the possibility of power outages. Here's what we can expect in terms of snowfall totals. Not as much for the lower mainland, one to five centimeters. It really is going to be focused across Vancouver Island. But when I come back, I'll show you which areas in the lower mainland we expect those power outages. All right. Thanks, Christy. But first, an unexpected twist in the investigation into the case of a cowboy who's been missing near Merritt for almost two weeks. Catherine Urquhart tells us why detectives from the major crimes unit are now involved. It's a mystery on the minds of many people here. What happened to 32-year-old Ben Tyner, the new manager at Nicola Ranch, now missing for almost two weeks? Well, I think it's pretty strange. I mean, this is an experienced man that was out on the range that he works on and uh, his horse was found and they couldn't find any trace of him. It's almost like he disappeared. Tyner was last seen Saturday, January 26th. His horse found two days later by local hunter Kim Robinson. I bumped into a horse there with a the saddle on and uh, he had one rein hanging there so I thought something, you know, wasn't right. For seven days, dozens of volunteer search and rescue workers scoured the hills looking for any sign of Ben Tyner. They found nothing. Now the RCMP says major crime investigators are involved in the case. Is there any reason why major crime wasn't involved sooner in the case? No, I think, you know, you look initially, you have hopes that it's going to be rep we're going to come to a, a successful resolution quickly. And at seven days, then we start to look back and say, what resources have we not yet you, asked Good for? Luck, that doesn't indicate that there's any criminality that we suspect at this time. Local business owners say police have been searching for surveillance video as part of their investigation. You can expect to see some increased police presence as we start to support that investigation again, start maybe examining opportunities in areas that we haven't already examined. Tyner's parents and younger brother Jack arrived from their home in Wyoming more than a week ago. They remain in merit, anxious for answers about Ben's disappearance. Answers also wanted by this entire community. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. 
The federal government is being accused of trying to silence critics over a potential threat to wild salmon. Two days after the federal court ordered the fisheries department to start testing farmed fish for a lethal virus, a conservationist says a federal review panel is misrepresenting the facts. Linda Aylesworth reports. The federal court recently ruled that the Department of Fisheries and Oceans' practice of not testing farm salmon for an infectious virus known as PRV before releasing them into open net pens in the ocean was illegal and must be rectified. The court has told the minister that they're failing to comply with the precautionary approach to fish farm management. And that's a huge victory for wild salmon. But is it? Mere days after the ruling, a technical briefing was organized for the media over the phone by members of a government committee on the risk of PRV to Fraser River's sockeye salmon. Their message? There is currently no evidence to suggest that PRV1 causes disease of mortality in sockeye salmon. But not everyone on that committee agrees. There were dissenting opinions. John Waring with the David Suzuki Foundation is a member of the committee and one of several who objected to such pronouncements being made so early in the process. We're communicating results to the general public that are based on huge levels of uncertainty. Like other members of the committee, he received an email from DFO's aquaculture director suggesting he restrict his comments to the media to certain key points. And DFO may be able to muzzle their own scientists, but I don't think they can muzzle the general public. And I was a member of the general public sitting in that room. As for why the ministry seems to be downplaying the PRV virus, Waring referred us to one of the recommendations made in 2012 by Justice Bruce Cohen, who oversaw a lengthy inquiry into the collapse of Fraser sockeye salmon. When DFO has simultaneous mandates to conserve wild stocks and promote the salmon farming industry, there are circumstances in which it may find itself in a conflict of interest because of divided loyalties. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, some people love them. Others call them rats with wings. Regardless, a growing pigeon population is causing big problems at a number of SkyTrain stations. That's right. And as Jordan Armstrong reports, TransLink is teaming up with the BCSPCA for an unusual but humane program to control the population. VCC Clark, the last stop on SkyTrain. And now this station is also the end of the line for the reproduction cycle of pigeons. Yes, TransLink is putting pigeons on the pill. Incredibly, birth control for pigeons is here. Behind the station sits a modified deer feeder dispensing a mix of corn and contraceptive pellets called ovocontrol. They say it won't harm the birds or their predators. Over time, the population should decrease each year by 50%. By 50%? Yes, yeah, so we can go from hundreds of pigeons at one station to just a few. The fact is, pigeons are a scourge on the system. They create a huge mess in stations. The new platform at Commercial Broadway is already full of the birds and their droppings. Gross. Yeah, it's nasty. But more than the mess, pigeons pose a safety hazard. The birds constantly trigger track alarms. It's been said one in five emergency stops on SkyTrain can be blamed on the rats with wings. It costs money, it costs time, costs our customers time. Netting, Spikes and Avro the Falcon have all been tried. But the pigeons keep coming back. 
Of course, a big part of the problem, the people who feed them. Transit police or transit security are not able to find these people. Let the pigeons find food for themselves and let the population be at a natural level. If it works, the birth control program could be rolled out to other stations. The feeders cost $1,000 to buy and about 100 bucks a month to maintain. So the mechanism, it will just spread the food and bait out twice a day. So on Valentine's Day, if these lovebirds get busy, their romance will go unhatched. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is firing back against accusations his office pressured the Attorney General, the Justice Minister, to lay off the prosecution of a major Quebec company. The allegations in the Globe story this morning are false. Uh, neither the current nor the previous Attorney General uh, was ever directed by me or by anyone in my office uh, to uh, take a, a decision uh, in this matter. SNC-Lavalin is accused of paying millions in bribes to secure government business in Libya, a crime under Canadian law. The Globe and Mail is reporting the Prime Minister's office asked former Justice Minister and BCMP Jody Wilson-Raybould to get involved. The report says she was pressured to convince prosecutors to negotiate a remediation agreement with the company rather than pursue criminal charges. The report says Wilson-Raybould, who was shuffled out of the Attorney General's portfolio last month, refused to do it. Bombshell accusations tonight from one of the richest men in the world, Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, is accusing the National Enquirer and its owner of extortion and blackmail. It started when the Enquirer published an expose of Bezos' relationship with TV personality Lauren Sanchez, which led to the end of his marriage. Bezos hired investigators to find out if the story was politically motivated because he owns the Washington Post which has written critical stories about President Donald Trump. Now, Bezos says the Inquirer is threatening to publish nude and semi-nude pictures of him, also suggestive photos of Sanchez, unless he stops that investigation. Bezos posted the proof online, saying he's chosen to go public with the threat instead. Another big step today towards space tourism, even if most of us can't afford it. The U.S. Federal Aviation Administration putting Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic at the front of the line with a simple ceremony. The view from Virgin Galactic Spaceship 2, spectacular. Check that out. We can see Mexico. December's mission marked the first manned launch from U.S. soil since the space shuttles retired in 2011, climbing 51.4 miles into the FAA's definition of space. Today, pilots Mark Stuckey and C.J. Sturkow received their commercial astronaut wings as Virgin prepares to be the first to carry paying customers by year's end. I want to do dozens, uh, you know, d dozens and dozens of these flights and, and uh, with uh, paying customers and ensure their experience with them. 600 people have already signed up, many celebrities paying $250,000. It feels tantalizingly close to the combination of our dreams. Billionaire founder Richard Branson plans to fly in July and says the trips will get cheaper the more spacecraft he builds. You know, we may be able to get the price right down in, in 10 years rather than 20. Until then, a four-minute quarter-million-dollar view. Tom Costello, NBC News, Washington. A warning now about our next piece of video of a car crashing into a restaurant. Two people sitting in a booth were hit, but they survived. Watch the window. One sees the coming catastrophe and starts to react, but not soon enough to get out of the way. Believe it or not, they both survived 
as did six others who were hurt in the crash. Investigators say at this point it looks like a mechanical issue caused the driver to lose control. In Health Matters tonight, there are growing calls to decriminalize hard drugs in B.C. and establish a clean supply for addicts. That's after the release of stark new statistics on the number of illicit drug overdose deaths last year. Aaron MacArthur reports. Since 2014, fentanyl has killed about 12,000 British Columbians. A city the size of Prince Rupert wiped off the map due to poisoned drug supply. Overdoses now killing more people than suicide and motor vehicle collisions combined. One of those deaths, Leslie McBain's son. After five years of watching other families endure the heartbreak of this crisis, she thinks the only way forward is clear. When we look at the evidence and when we use common sense, we see that the best, most effective, and in some ways, the easiest way to stop the overdose deaths is to supply safe regulated drugs to those people who need them. The numbers for 2018 are staggering. 1,489 people died this year of a drug overdose. The numbers haven't gone up significantly since 2017, but 86% tested positive for fentanyl. That is hardly good news. The healthcare system simply treading water. Treating this as a criminal justice issue is why we have fentanyl. That's why we have so many people with untreated addiction. It's why people are afraid to ask for help because of the stigma. But aside from a few scattered initiatives with tiny patient populations, there just aren't the mechanisms in place right now to give the B.C. government the tools necessary to implement a safer supply. There are a number of initiatives moving forward on that, that we have the support of the federal government. So whether we need exemptions under Section 56 of the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act, we're working those details out with them. Without significant and rapid change to laws and what healthcare officials call de facto decriminalization, the number of deaths this year will likely mirror last. A health crisis where the status quo will see four people dead every single day. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A teenager in Spain who was born without a right forearm wasn't satisfied with the prosthetics he was offered, so he took it upon himself to ramp up the cool factor. That is pretty cool, all right. It's a Lego prosthetic arm. 19-year-old David Aguilar studies engineering in college. And this is actually the fourth model of his Lego arm. He was just nine years old when he built the first one. Each new version has more movement capability than the one before. His dream, he says, is to create affordable prosthetics for people who need them. It is more and more common these days. Skip generations, grandparents raising their grandchildren. And when that child has special needs, the situation is more complicated. I was working and I was planning on traveling and taking my pension when I could, but no, I never thought I would go back and, and have another child. So I'm basically like his mother, but he knows I'm his grandma, but he still calls me mom. Well, becoming a parent again wasn't something Carmen planned, but that changed eight years ago when she decided to raise her grandson, Matthew. I stepped up and I told my son I, I would take Matthew because I didn't want him to go into foster care. It's so big to be in there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Matthew has several challenges, including yeah. ADHD, anxiety, and OCD, 
which became more apparent as he grew. Needing extra help, Carmen turned to Variety, the children's charity, which is supplying weekly speech and language sessions that allow him to work on his expressive language skills. Variety has been a tremendous help for Matthew. He otherwise wouldn't be getting any additional speech and language service. And for a child like Matthew, who has multiple areas of weakness, including his language, his attention, and his social skills, it's a perfect opportunity for him to be working with a speech and language pathologist. Well, to learn more about how Variety has helped Matthew and his grandmother, tune in to the Show of Hearts Telethon this Sunday from 9.30 until 5.30 right here on Global. All right, Fluffy the cat was frozen when they found her, but you'll understand why they're calling her a miracle cat now. Can you believe that? Yikes, Coming Fluffy. up right after the weather forecast. Wow. Might be some cats like that in our neighborhood if you don't exactly, put them inside. Exactly, yeah. Take care of your pets. We've got some winter coming, Christy. That's exactly right, but it actually for the Lower Mainland is turning into be more of a wind event than a snow event, and I'll tell you why. Here's a look at the warnings and um, special weather statements we have across the South Coast. Let me break it down for you, starting with the snowfall. So for the Lower Mainland, we could see anywhere from one to four centimeters of snow. That's not a major snow event. We will see it through the day on and off uh, depending on your location, but it's not a major snow event. The areas I'm more so concerned about are these parts of Vancouver Island, anywhere from Comox South through Nanaimo into Victoria, where we could see up to 15 centimeters by Saturday morning. And I'll show you the timeline of the heaviest periods for you in a second, but also more significant snow up towards Whistler and in eastern sections out towards Hope. So here's the timeline. We will see a wave of snowfall through the morning hours, but by the afternoon, that strong outflow wind we were talking about and why we have wind more in effect, will begin to push that snowfall more towards that eastern sections of Vancouver Island and why we're expecting the majority of this snowfall there. It's sort of like a lake effect snow, but we're going to call it a straight effect snow where it picks up the moisture over the strait and dumps it along the Vancouver Island region. So certainly not as much for the lower mainland by that point. And for the Vancouver Island region, you'll see another wave overnight Saturday into your uh, Sunday, sorry, overnight Friday into your Saturday morning. By Saturday, everything clears out. But these are the strong winds that I'm concerned about. So it'll pick up through the afternoon hours, but the strongest winds will begin around 6 o'clock, continue through the overnight period, and through our Saturday. I am absolutely expecting power outages from the Fraser Valley right down into Tawasin and then over to the southern Gulf Islands. Meanwhile, across the north, cold and clear. Arctic air back entrenched across your region, and snowfall here, light amounts, 2 to 4 centimeters max. Whereas the south coast, we talked about the range of snowfall. We will see that, but it will be mainly a wind event for the lower mainland, and those winds will continue on Saturday. Oh, I am also concerned about blowing snow with those winds, and that could reduce visibility. This is from Summerland down near uh, Highway 97, right near where the rock slide uh, happened. Dave McClellan capturing amazing photos of the ice sculptures just along the sides of Okanagan Lake. Love that. It's beautiful. Thank you, Christy. A Montana family was worried that their cat, Fluffy, hadn't returned home, so they went out into the minus 13 degree weather to look for her. Maybe they want to change her name to Frosty because this is how they found her, frozen in a snowbank, unresponsive, 
and covered with ice. They rushed her to a vet where her temperature was so low it didn't even register. The vets used warm water, lights, blow dryers, and intravenous fluids to warm her up. It took seven hours, but believe it or not, she's back home, fully recovered. Of course she is. Will the Canucks be able to reel in a playoff spot? We don't know yet, do we? I'm more of a lottery draft guy this year than a playoff guy. Yeah. But they could. And we said it last night, the Western Conference race for that final wildcard playoff spot, which the Canucks still own, is pretty much open to anyone, even teams that have had two different eight-game losing streaks and had to fire a Stanley Cup and likely Hall of Fame coach in Joel Quenville. We're talking about Chicago, but the Blackhawks are on a roll now, five straight, and they have the Canucks visiting. Vancouver finishing off their road trip. Saturday, they're home to Calgary. There's Besser, there's Pedersen, there's the coach, and there's Jacob Markstrom taking one in the chin from Jonathan Taze, but he's okay. Good thing this wasn't the 50s and there was no mask. Uh, power play for the Blackhawks. The Canucks failed to score on a two-man advantage. Here they have a chance shorthanded, but Chris Tanev is stopped by a Colin Delia. Now the Blackhawks get a two-man advantage. And just before the end of it, it's Patrick Kane starting the play that ends with an Alex Debrinkit goal. He's a good young player, 27th of the year. That made it 1-0. So now it's down to a one-man advantage for Chicago, and they'll score on this power play too. Brandon Saad gets the loose puck. It's 2-0 after one. Canucks so rally in the second. Unlikely goal-scoring source, Alex Biega, his first. So, does it tipped? Nope, straight in, it looks like. So that makes it two to one. And then two minutes and 21 seconds later, Josh Levo, who had an assist on that Biega goal, ties it, two, two. So they're back in it. With Eastern Conference contenders making moves all around them, the Toronto Raptors made a big trade before the NBA deadline at noon today. They sent Jonas Valakunis, DeLon Wright, C.J. Miles, and a second-round pick to the Grizzlies. Not Vancouver, obviously, Memphis, for center Mark Gasol. The other reason for this trade, who knows if Kawhi Leonard will re-sign in Toronto, so this might be their only chance with him. Gasol's a good scorer for a big man. He can pass the ball better than most centers, and like Leonard, is a top-notch defender. In other words, Gasol is a very good playoff guy to have. February is Black History Month, and one of the most important African-American pioneers in Major League Baseball, Frank Robinson, passed away today at the age of 83. First African-American ever to manage in a big league game. He was an incredible Hall of Fame player. MVP in both leagues in 66 with Baltimore. He won the batting triple crown, the MVP and the World Series. You might remember one of the teams he managed was the Montreal Expos. Well, Langley has been awarded the 2020 National Junior Curling Championships, and that means another opportunity for a local boy to win yet another Canadian junior title. Tyler Tardy, history. Tardy, the first skip ever to win three consecutive Canadian juniors. He's got the three-peat. Now Tyler Tardy has the opportunity for an unprecedented fourth straight Canadian junior title. And he'll get the chance to do it at his home curling club. Langley has been awarded the 2020 National Juniors. Now the question is, will Tardy be in the field? He has a decision to make if he wants to stay in juniors in his last year of eligibility. 
I don't think it'll be more so like we're feeling obligated to do it. It's more so whether we, we do or not. And I think we're more so that we do want to do it just because we, we love this place and we love curling. And any opportunity you can to compete, we're going to most likely go for it. It's a big decision. First of all, Tardy needs to find a new front end. His current lead and second will be too old to compete in juniors next year, and he would still have to win the provincials with that new team. Organizers, of course, would love to have their local superstar in the hack next January. I've said we need you here because it's, it's huge for the club. Um, but again, he's got to find a new team, and, and you know, it's not easy. It's, it's like going into a new marriage. It's, it's tricky. It's hard work. So hopefully they can find somebody that, that can fit and work with. You can excuse Tyler if he's a little preoccupied right now. He's off to Nova Scotia next week to defend his World Junior title. Once that's all over, he'll return his focus to next year. You know, three, three's a record, and... I, we know that, and four would just be unbelievable. It just wouldn't even seem fair, but obviously that's a long road away, and there's still a lot of steps to achieve that goal. It's Pebble Beach. AT&T, National Pro-Am, Pebble Beach Pro-Am, but they played on three different courses. Uh, and then on the final rounds, they get to Pebble Beach. Okay, there's uh, Jordan Spieth, who was minus five today. That's how you play the backstop on a green. How about uh, Brant Snedeker? On the beach. You're going to flinch a bit with those stones. He's going to shoot it. He's going to take a shot. And it works pretty well. And he ended up birdieing this hole. He's at three under par. But how about this? In the bunker, who is this guy? Who is this bearded man knocking it in from the sand? Why it's Huey Lewis without the news. Whoa. I know. Nick Taylor top BC boy at minus three. Adam Hadwin even. Adam Svensson plus one, Roger Sloan plus five. There you go. Huey Lewis. Cool. Thanks very much. He wants a new drug, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, All right. Sir. Here's Andrea now with a preview of Global News at 11. Anne. Thanks, Chris. With another storm moving in, we are keeping an eye on the forecast. And Premier John Horgan is in Seattle promoting closer economic ties with our neighbors to the south. At a meeting with his Washington state counterpart, Horgan announced B.C. would be contributing another $300,000 to further study high-speed rail service between Vancouver and Oregon. We'll have more on what came out of that particular meeting when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Sophie, Chris. All right. It'd be fun to ride if it ever happens. Thanks, Ann. Absolutely. Another fashion giant, red-faced over black-face. That's up next. But first, here's Kasia Badurka with five things to do with your family. Kasia. Yeah, and these five things, we take you golfing, skating, and boating. But first, let's celebrate. It's the Lunar New Year on Granville Island. Saturday, follow the lion dancers through the market. Then check out some of the workshops like sugar painting and Chinese calligraphy. Bring your appetite. You'll find a lot of treats on hand. Stick around for the second largest boat show in Canada. The Vancouver International Boat Show has its floating show on Granville Island and also takes over BC Place. See the latest and greatest in the world of boating and partake in seminars and demos. Now back to winter. Bring your sweetheart and hit the ice. It's the Valentine's Skate at Bill Copeland Arena in Burnaby. The Cupid Toonie Skate is happening Saturday from 12.30 till 3 p.m. Now, I promised you golf, and this weekend it's the Vancouver Golf Expo at the PE Forum, Vancouver. Test drive some of the latest equipment to improve your game, snag some of the best deals, or better yet, win some incredible prizes. 
But if you're more of a homebody, refresh your space at the Kelowna Spring Home Show. It's on this weekend at Prospero, a place where you'll find helpful tips and innovative products. For more, go to globalnews.ca slash five things. Here's your snow report for today. Cold and clear right across the province, but we are expecting light snow to push down from the north in the next 24 hours. Whistler Blackcomb minus 9, Grouse and Cypress minus 8, and Sasquatch minus 9 today. Revelstoke minus 14, Manning Park minus 18, and Whitewater minus 19. Big White, Silver Star, and Sun Peaks minus 10 to minus 15 today, but that's actually warmer compared to what they were at yesterday. Kicking Horse minus 19, Mount Washington at minus 8, and Powder did pick up two centimeters. Coming up on ET Canada, the Beavers in vogue and David Foster on the road. Plus, Rachel Ray opens up in her kitchen to ET Canada. That's all coming up at 7 right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Chris and Sophie. I hope she fed you too. Thanks, Cheryl. Right? <laughs> okay, add this one to the growing what were they thinking file in the fashion industry. The Gucci Design House has pulled one of its new sweaters from the market because of the look of its collar. Gucci's fashion-forward top, getting more complaints than compliments. Critics on social media slamming this $890 black turtleneck with a red cutout for the mouth. You mean to tell me no one saw the awful blackface resemblance? The luxury fashion label apologizing on its website and pulling the item, adding it is fully committed to increasing diversity throughout our organization. Apologies are not enough. We need to see a real embrace of diversity and inclusion in leadership of these companies. Prada recently pulled an entire collection of products depicting a monkey with bright red lips. And H&M hired a diversity leader after showcasing this online ad featuring a hoodie with the phrase, coolest monkey in the jungle. If people look like me, were working in the boardroom of Gucci, this product would have never been greenlit. These fashion statements turn social faux pas, trending for all the wrong reasons. Kathy Park, NBC News, New York. $890. Lost in all of that, too, was how bad those sweatpants were, let's be honest. <laughs> that was also... The genie look. The genie look, I guess mm -hmm. that's what it was. It's $900 for a turtleneck with a hole in it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> why do, I don't even understand why people buy jeans with holes in them. That's you know? a good I point. I can put my own holes. I don't need to pay for someone else mm, to do it. I've done it. Yeah, so have <laughs> I. But I was like, why are there holes in these? And they said, that's the look now. Yeah. There could, be a, there could be a hole in the snow zone right around the lower mainland is what it looks like. Yeah, so we are expecting snow, but I really think for the lower mainland, it's going to be more of a wind event tomorrow, but we'll see light snow. And we will stay tuned. Thanks, Christy, and thank you for watching. Have a good night, all.